Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm gonna choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. And we're back. Welcome to another episode. I'm joined by my man, Brendan Kumarasamy. Thanks for being here. And I'm so excited because I read a post that you put out this morning with your top three favorite books of all time. And number three on that list is Adam Grant's book, Give and Take. So we're going to do a deep dive into that book and we're going to really Talk about why Adam Grant is so influential and why his thought leadership is so timeless. So can you share a little bit about why that is your top, what are your top three books ever? Absolutely, Billy. Always great to see you in your incredible beard and t-shirt. Yeah, great to be here, man. I would say a good way to get this started is the story behind how I even read the book in the first place. Because as you know, out of my top three books, Give and Take is actually the first one I ever read, and because I don't really read that many books. So the story behind it was when I was in my first semester of university, I was 19 years old, and I did a case competition for a company called McKinsey & Company. So for those who don't know, McKinsey is one of the most important management consultants do, essentially, is they go into different businesses and government organizations and solve their problems. So my dream was to work at McKinsey long, long time ago before became, Brendan became a master talk, Brendan. <laughs> And I had a case competition with McKinsey and a case competition, for those who don't know my backstory, cases are essentially where you go and present solution to executives. So anyways, we got to McKinsey in, in Toronto, but back then I didn't really know what the company was. I had no idea what it was. I thought it was like a home renovation company and it was a super lost. I met this incredible guy named Eric and he was probably one, one of the first times in my life that I met someone that was at least a hundred times smarter than me. I was like, wow, this person's super successful. And now he's a partner at McKinsey. He does really well for himself. He's an incredible role model. And after the case competition was over, we ended up getting third place at that competition. We sat down with him for some coffee to go through feedback. And I love the way that he coached us because he didn't really say anything. He kind of just asked us, what did we think about our own performance? And which is something I'd never seen before in a mentor and someone with the level of wisdom he had. He was only in his late 20s, but the wisdom he had was so much. So I really wanted to be like Eric. Like if you had asked me at 19, 
cool I wanted to be in life, I would have told you, Eric, I want to work at McKinsey. I want to be a consultant. I want to go travel around these places. And I did that for a few years at IBM. But anyways, I asked him this question. And the question was, what's your favorite book of all time? And he looked at me and he said, without a doubt, give and take by Adam Grant. And I was like, who's Adam Grant? And he's like, oh, he's some uh, studies organizational behavior at the University of Pennsylvania. And he was like, read his book, give and take. And I looked at the book and it was like 300 pages. And I was like, ugh, I really don't want to read this book. But I wanted to be like Eric. So I went to the library because I couldn't afford a book because that's how poor I was back then. I couldn't afford a $20 book. So I went to the library to, to rent it out. And that book really changed my life. That's the story. So what was it about the book that changed your life? Because I know when you wrote your post this morning, you highlighted some of the, the key components and the premise, I mean, maybe we should start there. Like, Give us a, a high level overview of the premise of the book and then drill down a little bit into like, what were the things that made it life-changing for you? Absolutely. So, so the premise of the book, quite simply, is Adam Grant is a professor at a university. So everything he does is always academically backed, scientifically proven. He does a lot of tests. And what this book is, is, is an attempt at how three different people live their lives and how they operate in the decisions that they make in their day-to-day. So basically, what the book boils down to is three types of people exist in the world. Number one are called givers matchers, that's the second type, and the third type are takers. Givers are individuals who generally give more than they take. So let's say you mentor somebody, you always want more for them than yourself, you're giving without an expectation. And you're not generally categorized in just one area always. You could be a giver in some way, a matcher in some other areas, or a taker in others. Like you could be a taker in your career, let's say, but a giver when you mentor the youth, right? So that's a good example. But generally speaking, that's what a giver is. A matcher is someone who scratches my back if I scratch yours. So it's the game of reciprocity, mm-hmm. right? Like in Robert Cialdini's book, famous book, Influence, you give me, and once you give to me, I feel obligated to give back to you. That is what a matcher is. And a taker is someone who plays the short game, someone who wants more than what. Uh, what they end up giving and believes that the world is hyper-competitive. Like it's a dog-eat-dog world. Right. And what I love the most about the book is it boils down to the simplicity, how different people operate in their life and the positive and the negative of each objectively. So that would be the main premise of the book. If you can reflect back and think about when you were reading it, what did Adam Grant do to help illustrate his point so clearly? that it had a profound effect on you. Absolutely. I would say for me, what stood out to me was some of the stories that he shared to explain takers, matchers, and givers. And what was nice about the book is he actually used real human beings as examples. So one example he used in the book was the CEO of Enron. So for those who know, Enron is a company that went bankrupt. They had a lot of fraudulent activity in their company. And you know they were misstating a lot of the financial statements, so they went under the early 2000s. His opening statement in, Adam, in his book, Give and Take, explains why that individual uh, was a taker from the beginning, and he could have predicted all of this happened before. And the way that he did it was by looking at the annual report. You notice that the guy's face fills up the entire page, whereas with most CEOs of companies, it fills up a much smaller percentage of the page, which is interesting. But the point that he's driving with this is that Takers almost always win in the short term, almost always, in the sense that let's say we build a relationship 
and I get something from you and I run away, I win the short game. Where let's say you give me a deal or something, I never talk to you again. But what stood out to me as well, and I like that he said that objectively, but they always lose the long game because they're always burning relationships with people along the way. So imagine like we built a relationship and after two months, I, I don't know, I, I stole your couch or something. <laughs> so random. And then I ran away. So you'd be like, crap, my couch. And I would be like, sick, I got a new couch. Ha ha ha, I invested Billy, I have his couch now. But now Billy doesn't like me anymore. Now, you, now you're like, if this guy ever comes near my house, I'll, I'll take my flamethrower that I got from Elon Musk and just torch this guy on fire. Right? So, so the, the main disadvantage of being a taker is you don't get to build sustainable relationships over your life. And you also end up living a miserable existence, to, to make a long story short, because you never trust anybody. So that's the first part. That makes a ton of sense, right? Because if you're burning bridges because you are playing the short game and you may win in the short run, you lose in the long run because that relationship fizzles out and may even be something that causes you a lot of pain in the future, right? If, if that person really despises you and wants to take revenge or wants to do something negative to you, it could end up resulting in a really, really bad situation. So I want to dive in on matchers and givers, either pros and cons or nuances that we should realize when we think about those people and any examples that he gave to help illustrate his point. Absolutely. And this is what I love so much about the book is like he outlines it so objectively and then you make the decision at the end of who you want to be with the living, with the consequences that come with it. Because yes, cons for givers too that we'll be getting into, which I find super fascinating. But anyways, going back to the idea of takers, right? People who take more than they give, play the short game. One criteria that really stood out to me in the book that I didn't really understand at that age, but I do now, is the idea of if you're a taker and you become more and more successful, more and more people want to see you lose. I'll give you another takeaway that's not in the book, but that explains this. It's a guy named Tony Lafreda, a very smart guy. He's the vice president, one of the biggest banks in Canada. And I met him for, for lunch when I was like 20 or 21. And we sat down for lunch and he was, he, the best piece of advice he gave me, he said, Brendan, never create enemies along the way, only friends. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, you know, if you become more successful, and you step on other people's toes, you might win the short game. You might get the sale. You might get the outcome, but people will want your neck, right? So as you become more and more successful, people will boo you even more versus if you're a giver, and you become more and more successful, people are cheering you on even louder. So that's another interesting point to note about takers. But then moving on now, let's go to matchers. So matchers is the typical how most people operate. This is what Adam argues in the book. Statistically, most people are matchers. So I only do something for you if you do something for me. So the biggest pro with that is you never get screwed over, right? Because you're only giving if somebody else gives to you. So you wait for other people to give to you. And then once they do, you get to give back to them. But the challenge with being a matcher, I found, going back to the book, is that the biggest con is that you mostly don't get to move or do anything because you're not getting anything. Like if you want to move to the next step, you can't really build relationships with people. You can't really move things really quickly because you don't have tight, tight, tight friendships that you just pour into because you only pour into when other people pour into you. You're playing a reactive game with your life versus a proactive one. 
right? I don't know if that makes sense, but it's the idea of because I only give to Billy when Billy gives to me, if Billy never gives me anything, I never do anything for Billy and me and Billy's friendship doesn't deepen over time. So that's one of the cons with being a matcher is you're kind of always left in this weird dilemma where you want to do something with your life, you want to move forward, but you're always waiting for the other person to take action first. And that's one of the cons with being a matcher. The other piece as well that I'll add that I've kind of learned from lived experience is another disadvantage with being a matcher is you actually become unhappy over time, in my opinion, because you set a lot of expectations. So I'll give you an example. If I operate my life as a matcher and I give you something and you don't give me anything back, I live in misery because I'm always frustrated with you because you never gave me anything. So there's an expectation that is being created when the giving is done, when the act is given versus being another type of person. So that's another way to think about matchers. Fascinating. I love this topic because it's so layered and nuanced. One of the things you and I talked about before we got started on the live is intention. Before we get into intention, what from the book stands out in your mind as something that maybe isn't commonly held as a belief or isn't something that people hear all the time that they might find as a a wow golden nugget or an insight that would blow them away? Like what surprised you when you read the book that you remember now as Because again, when something changes your life, it's got to be something that is almost revolutionary or or so profound that it changes you. What's that golden nugget that we can't not talk about, that we have to talk about right now that we haven't yet spoken about? And it's funny that that you're asking this question, Billy, because I'm sure since I've known you for so long, I think I've talked to you more than I've talked to my mother in her entire lifetime at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And I live with my mom, so no offense to her, but she's great. But, But the point I wanted to drive is you met me at a very different moment of my life where it's like, I already did all the personal development. So you're waiting for that million dollar nugget. Where, when is Brendan going to drop a bomb on all of us? Like I always do. But what's interesting about give and take, like this particular episode, and don't worry for those of you who like those nuggets, it will stay tuned for the next episode. It'll come back. But don't worry, I got stuff. Is This was 19-year-old Brendan. So 19-year-old Brendan, back then, the giver, taker, matcher was revolutionary. I didn't even understand the concept. I was like, whoa, like, so I was still a good person. I was still giving. But like when I was 15 or 16, I thought volunteering was for losers, literally. I was like, why would you work for free? It doesn't make any sense. Like that's how I was brought up to believe. It was only in very recent years, maybe six, seven years ago, that I really shifted my mindset around that. And thank God I did. It completely changed my life. But it was really the give and take book that really helped me align because I wanted to be like Eric, the guy at McKinsey. And to be like the guy at McKinsey to change my family's life, I had to listen to what he had to say, which was read this book. It makes perfect sense, man. And and this is a perfect, perfect lead in to how has this book, the principles, the teachings, how does it inform the decisions you make today as you're building relationships. This goes back to that intention piece. Absolutely. And, and it also ties into your last question, which we also have an answer to. I just wanted to preface with that so we, so we don't keep the expectation too high, is what was the most surprising thing about the book? The most surprising thing about the book, which I didn't expect, is when Adam Grant said, if you give too much, you will lose. Ooh, there you go. Okay. Now we're talking. And I was like, huh. I was like, what does he mean by that? 
He didn't say it in those words, by the way. I want to make sure that's on the record. He didn't say that directly, quote. You're paraphrasing. There's a percentage of givers who actually lose, who are actually worse off than matchers. And that's the piece that surprised me the most because it was kind of like the opposite of what I thought. He was. But why is that? Why? Why Do you remember why he said that? Absolutely. I think he calls them pure givers, like people who just always give without expectation of nothing all the time. The problem with those individuals is they get taken advantage of. They get taken advantage of, especially by takers. So I'll give you the best example. Let's say you're a pure giver and I'm a taker. Okay, I'll make you the good guy in this in this movie. Okay, so you're a pure guy. You're always buying me ramen all the time. <laughs> all the time. We're going, you're, you're, and I'm telling you, Billy, you're so amazing. Thank you for the ramen. I'll get you next time. You're like, don't worry about it. But then after like 10 times, I still haven't gotten you. And I'm like, man, I just got so much ramen from Billy. I'm taking advantage of this guy. But as the pure giver that you are, which you aren't, by the way, I think you're more strategic, which is a compliment, by the way, not an insult. Because of that, a pure giver, it never stops. You know, there's a term, I don't even know I should be saying on on LinkedIn, but I'll say it anyways, because we're having a fun conversation here. And it kind of adds different angles. There's a term in the dating world called simps. So simps are individuals who always play up to what other people expect them to do, especially in a romantic relationship, and never, ever argue for their cause. Like, never. What do you want, darling? Do you want me to pay all the bills? You want to use my credit card every time? You want, you want to buy a Gucci $3,000 purse? Whatever you want, dear, whatever you want. And it just, but it never ends. They never fight for themselves. And that is the danger. That is the terror of being a pure giver is that you actually end up leaving, leading a miserable, miserable existence because all you do is get taken advantage of. So that was the most surprising thing I read. But going back to your other question around what was my biggest lesson, which is around the winner. And the winner, once again, I don't know the exact term used in the book. My brain is still blurry there. But the term that I'm going to coin here is the strategic giver. So the giver that's the person who wins long-term. So the giver is still amazing. That's the punchline. You make the decision because he's illustrating these points. Ultimately, you get to decide, but really where it ends, where the end result is, givers win, but not just any giver. But yeah, strategic givers. How does that work exactly? Right. So strategic giving is still the same concepts of being a giver. Give more than you take no expectation. So if I give you something and you get it, you're my buddy. Like I, I still live life amazing. Your life is better. That fulfills me. But there's a caveat to the rule. And the caveat to the rule, if you figure out one day that someone is either a hardcore taker or not a really good matcher, you stop giving. Or you give less in proportion to what you did before. And this is a big lesson, especially for our people pleasers in the audience that I used to be, is you need to be smart about how you pour into it. And let me add my own thought leadership on top of it, since I've matured quite a bit over those six years since I've read the book. And by the way, guilty as charged, I need to actually revisit the book myself because I feel there's a lot of nuggets now that I would get with new Brendan state that I can bring back into, uh, into these conversations. But anyways, uh, side note aside, which didn't make sense, doesn't make sense in the English language, but anyways, go with me, is going back to the idea of giving, I would say the biggest takeaway I got from this is figure out who are givers, either as pure as me or more pure, like people like yourself, who I think are more of a giver than me, and then 
pour into them exceedingly. This is a strategy, a nuance that Adam doesn't really discuss enough in the book, but I think is the ultimate conclusion to give and take, which is the following. Run away from matchers, entertain matchers until you figure out they are matchers, and or until your network is good enough where there's only givers. Like right now I'm at a place in my life because I've done the legwork to meet hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of people that like literally my entire top 25 relationships are all givers. So that's the secret is invest capital, take time out of your busy life, go out there into the world and find those givers and pour into those people and just stay tight with those people and you'll be successful just fine. Well, the interesting thing here is that you're giving unconditionally, not giving, thinking about what you're going to get in return, but that doesn't mean that you're ignoring who you're giving to. Correct. Exactly. And part of that, which I'm curious what your thoughts are, is how do you balance the two? Because on one hand, you don't really want to be thinking about, is this person giving? Is they, are they not giving? But on the other hand, you do have to be conscious and aware enough to know if you're pouring into the wrong people, not because they're not giving back to you, but because they're the wrong people. So how do you how do you find that balance point? Right. So this is actually a question that Adam doesn't really cover in the book, but totally fine. I'm, I'm happy to, now that I'm more mature, I can add in. We got Brendan Kumarasamy, thought leadership. It's the combo. And in a minute, we'll get into Adam Grant's timeless thought leadership. So I want to talk about that. We'll round out our session talking about more generally, not just specific to this book, but more generally what his thought leadership is. But yeah, lay it down, brother. Of course. And I, I definitely have a lot of thoughts. We all stand the short of giants, right? So if it wasn't for Adam's base foundational knowledge, I wouldn't have been able to kind of think about the nuance in my head. But I would say for now, where my thought leadership stands on this is I think there's different levels to give it. There's different levels. So there's easy stuff that we can do for people. There's medium stuff that we can do for people and really hard stuff that we can do for people. What do I mean by this? So easy stuff is I'll send you a podcast episode that I think will help you. I'll text you if you have questions. I'll, I might even send you a voice note, which for me, by the way, my easy is still for most people's medium. So my easy is still I'm pouring in quite a bit, but my medium is like, I'll make podcast introductions for you. I will introduce you to people in my network that I think are you're worth talking to or worth uh, your time that will help you with your relationship. I'll keep your goals type of mind. I might even sit down with you for 30, 45 minutes, go through your goals and pour into you. So at the medium level, they're already pouring into me a little bit. And hard is stuff like, if you want me to sit down for four hours with you, I will sit down with you for four hours. If you need something from me, I will get it done regardless. If you need me to take a flight, I will take a flight. Like if you got sick tomorrow, which I don't hope, obviously, I would literally fly out to LA tomorrow to come see you because I haven't met you in person, right? So it'd be crazy, right? So, so that kind of stuff, right? It's like the hard stuff that's really difficult to pull off. That's the key. But the key here, I would say, is to never give the hard stuff away for free. And I don't mean you have to charge for it. <laughs> I mean, people have to earn it. That's the key. So like the hard stuff, I only do that with 20 to 25 different people. But the easy stuff, I do with every single human being I meet. Whether they're a taker, a match, or a giver, I'll give them the easy stuff up front, no problemo, but I'll only give the medium the hard stuff if I notice they're pouring in just a little bit. And the way that I test for that, because I'm sure that was a follow-up question you're probably thinking in your mind, is I give away easy asks. So when somebody asks me, 
what can I do to support you? Which is honestly, most of the time, a vain question. I'm just being honest. We're, we're straight shooters on this podcast. They don't actually help you. But I always entertain it because it's not up to me to judge. It's for me to see the outcome. So the first thing I do is I, I pour into them. I make sure that I, that I have the better end of the stick. Like in our relationship, I know I've given more to you than you've given it to me, even if I, I shouldn't say that publicly. But I, I know I have a little edge, just a little edge. You do, absolutely, yes. I did it before. I did it two, two months ago. But as of today, I could say that. But, but the point is, that's the first step, is you want to pour more into the other person. But then after that, what you do is you give them easy asks. So an easy ask is something a donkey can do. literally like a donkey can do it so i wouldn't expect somebody that i just met to fly out to my city and take care of my parents you know like i wouldn't expect that but i would say something like like stupid simple hey could you come to one of my free trainings and give me feedback hey could you watch one of my youtube it's like five fucking minutes right can you watch one of my youtube videos and give me some video ideas can you give me like one insight or something and most people don't do that because most people are matchers. I remember that's why I knew you were someone I wanted in my network. Because like you were so like I said genuinely from the heart. I know I'm, I'm pampering you. You're here, so so take it, take the compliment. Why don't you turn up your camera running away? It's like like genuinely. That's why for for people who are listening to this and have a relationship building, you know how lucky you are. Is like genuinely, I felt it. I never knew the guy, but he was more excited about my mission with Mastock than even I was. Like I was talking about it and he was like, yeah, I did like California and I was doing this class at Berkeley, but man, I think what you're doing is actually better than what I'm doing. And then I did this movie and then like, let's have you on the podcast and let's talk about, like, you were so excited for me that I looked at you and I was like, who is this guy? Like, this guy's like, amazing. So that's the point I want to drive is give the easy ass. And if people are biting on, they're nibbling it, or in your case, they're just devouring the easy ass, quickly escalate the giving. So at the end of our call, for example, I knew immediately, I was like, okay, what do I need to pour into this guy? Okay, uh, he wants advice on how to guest as a, on how to be a podcast host. He wants advice on this. So I literally canceled all my meetings on the day. I had like 10 podcasters. I probably should say it publicly either. But I had like 10 interviews that day. And I canceled the other nine. I rescheduled all of them just so I can focus energetically on hours to really knock it out. And that's how our relationship started, right? So I would say the key is give people the easy asks, different levels of giving. And then when people start just pouring into you a little bit, like you, like Sam, like people like Paul Zelzier that I very much respect, then you really overflood them. I love all of that. And I think the important point, there's several important points. First of all, one is that we've never met in person, in case you missed that. And Isn't that crazy? Amongst all that. And the short poll for anybody wanting to guess, one of the first things we're going to do is we're going to get back to back to see who's taller. Uh, Brendan doesn't even know how tall he is because he doesn't know it in, in feet and in inches. Which one of us is taller? Go ahead and put it in the comments if you... If you wonder which one of us is taller, it's what plus one fifty odds. Are you under or over over Monday? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear which one is uh, weighs more. But <laughs> we're talking height now. So the other point actually is more of a question: is how do we memorialize this? In other words, how do we track or document if we do who these people are, and do you keep track? And is it important to keep track? Not necessarily. I mean, maybe you keep track of what you give, but do you keep track of the people? And if so, how do you do that? Or how do you suggest somebody does that? 
Yeah, absolutely, man. And this definitely goes back to our other episode, but it bears repeating. I would say the key is to make a list of all of your givers in your network. And if you don't have any, you have to ask yourself a very different question, which is, are you a giver? Are you giving enough to your network? Because if you're not, it makes sense why you probably wouldn't have givers. But most of us do. Most of us have like a few of them. So I would say make a conscious list of those individuals, pour more into those people. And then after you pour more into those people, start thinking strategically about who are the other givers out there in the world and how can you get introduced to them. So for example, the main advantage for me of knowing you is you know a bunch of givers. So it's not about like what their title is. It's not about who they are, what movie they were in. It's more about like who are the real people who have great characters and great people know great people. Right. So I would encourage you to just make that list, pour into those people, and also think strategically about how I can put myself in front of other givers and what value I can deliver those people without, uh, without ever knowing them. I'll give you the best example right now. Right. One of my heroes that I know we talk about a lot, <laughs> allow it to cool. I think, I think I'm getting too crazy. My cameras, I'm getting too nuts. So one of my biggest heroes, right? And I say this every two episodes, probably in the show, is Scott Harrison, right? He's the CEO of Charity Water. And it is very difficult to get a meeting with that guy. So hard. And even if I can't meet him, I'm always finding ways to add value to him, even if he has done nothing for me. Like literally, I just posted about his book today on my LinkedIn pod, uh, pod post. I give to Charity Water every month. I'm starting to message all of his employees and giving them my program for free, which I never do. I would never give away my stuff for free, like my, my paid programs. But for his employees, I would love to do that. It'd be an honor to coach his employees for free. Even with all of that value, dude, uh, because he doesn't know me and I, I'm having such a trouble getting an introduction to him directly, uh, like he, he's ignoring me, which is totally fine, by the way, because he's a very busy guy and he needs to go out about his mission. So it's not a hit. But the point I want to drive is I want people to take away how much value I'm trying to add to an individual who doesn't even know me. And I've been doing that for like three years and I still am. I'm still a big raving fan of what he's doing, even if he probably like is, doesn't have time for me. And that's totally cool. I want you to develop that mindset for the people that you care about, that you want to pour into. And if you start developing that mindset, man, your lev- your sports team is going to level up and your sports team is in your network. And I know eventually I'll have a relationship with the guy and I'm really looking forward to that day. And you have had some back and forth communication with him, but to your point, you're, you're willing to invest a lot over a long period of time to make sure he knows who you are and he knows that you're someone who really values his mission, what he's doing. You believe in him. You believe in what he's doing. And because of that, eventually time will come where you're going to get some FaceTime with him and who knows what opportunities may arise. So I want to finish this episode. And well, first, what did we miss that we didn't cover in the book that we have to say? A. B. We talk about timeless thought leadership. What about Adam Grant is timeless in terms of the information that he's sharing with the world? Absolutely. So I would say the last principle of the book is to apply it, right? Before we get to Adam Grant specifically, I'll give you an example, Billy. I feel you need to operate more as a matcher with the company that you bought the camera for. That means they didn't scratch your back. 
to go to the camera place and go, look, I want I want to cash in the exchange policy. Give me my money back. <laughs> so we got to stop being a giver and we just start being a matcher in that context. That would be like a, you know, a fun example of how to apply this is uh, go back, say, I've read the book. Give me my money back. Your camera sucks. It overheats. Why did I pay two grand for this? <laughs> and and uh, so you don't get taken advantage of. That would be my immediate piece of feedback. But in terms of uh, Adam Grant as a human being, here here is what I appreciate the most about him, Billy. He's one of the few research professors, one of the few, if not like literally counting on my fingers, he's the only one that comes to mind right now, who has the empathy to simplify extremely complex pieces of information down to the simplest of ideas. And that's what I love about Adam because most academic researchers don't put in the trouble, don't put in the extra effort to do that. And I'm so grateful that Adam did because back then I was still a simpleton when I was 19. I didn't really understand much in life, but because he had simplified give and take from his extremely complex academic research paper to the simplest of ideas, I was able to apply it in my life immediately and see results. Because when I started thinking about my life, that giving is strategic and nothing more, and I started seeing it as a business strategy, that's when my whole career took off. Because then I started giving without expectation because I knew I'd win the long game. And that's exactly what, what is starting to happen now. So that's the key is Adam's ability to take very complex academic subjects. Brene Brown's another example that comes to mind. And the willingness, which is equally as hard, to disseminate that information in the way that the general public understands it. And honestly, now that I reflect back, because I've never been asked the question a long time, Adam Grant was probably an early inspiration for me to start Mass Talk in many ways, indirectly, even if I never quote him, because when I started Master Talk, I wanted to do the same thing. How do you take information on public speaking and simplify it down to just the bare principles so that everyone can learn communication? So in many ways, I guess, now that I think about it, Adam Grant was probably the first inspiration for me to even do that in the first place. Wow, man. That's that's a, a pretty big testament to the influence that he has on you. When we were thinking of how we structure this episode and, and talk a little bit about him the word timeless comes into play. What about his thought leadership is timeless? Like you mentioned the fact that he simplifies complex things, makes it easier to digest, makes it easier to take action. Is that it or is it something else? It's that, but also on the topic of timeless, Billy, and I'm glad you threw, threw, up that follow, threw out that follow-up question, is what's interesting about Adam's thought leadership is it applies regardless of what year we are in humanity whether it's 2022, which is the year we're filming this, or whether it's 3022, givers, matchers, takers is a principle that can be applied for the rest of time, right? Because it, because human beings, as you know, there's so many podcasters say this, even if our technology and our clothes are changing, our nature never changes. Our nature as human beings never change. So I feel those principles are so eccentric. They're so great that you can apply them throughout. And that's also true with every book he has written. Originals, right? The idea of how do you come up with original thought? Where does creativity come from? He has some great ideas on how to be more really original, how to think against the status quo, how to come up with ideas that are uh, unconventional. And then the other piece as well with his newest book, Think Again, which is about challenging the assumptions that we believe about the world. And he has a great TED talk on that as well. And that's what I love so much about Adam just as a human being is that not only is he one of the top rated professors in, in the world, actually, 
and not just at the University of Pennsylvania, but literally in the world, but also just his his um, his generosity and the way that he dispels these these complex co- concepts for simpletons like me uh, to understand. Uh, so that we can grow and prosper. And I, and I think his work will be relevant for centuries to come, genuinely. You've uh, really honed in on, I think, a key trait, characteristic of any successful thought leader is that they share information in a way that others can grasp it clearly and act upon it quickly. So grasp it clearly and act upon it quickly. So as you think about thought leadership, as you think about how to do that as a, a final thought here, how does one do that? How, how does one structurally create ways for people to understand things as quickly and clearly as possible? Yeah, man. You haven't asked me a communication question in a long time, so I'm feeling a little rusty. But, but I would say for, for me, at the end of the day, Billy, it comes down to testing. How far are you willing to go to simplify your ideas? I think that's what the ultimate question is. And I think what's what's great about Adam, and, and now I'm just educated, educational guessing here, I'm just guessing, but my thought process here as someone who has now created lead ideas, which is fascinating because when I was 19, that wasn't the case. I was mostly a consumer of ideas, and now I'm a producer of them, which is a cool uh, dichotomy or what's, what's an easy word for dichotomy? Like a contrast, right? So I would say today, when I think about ideas, what comes to mind is the willingness to have a bunch of shitty ones, right? That goes back to actually Adam Grant's book, Originals, is the, the willingness to have a bunch of shitty ideas. And the example he gave in his TED Talk was around uh, the founders of Warby Parker, right? So Warby Parker, for those who don't know, is a massive online way to shop for eyewear. And they actually pitched Adam when they were still students at Wharton to invest in the company. And Adam was like, yeah, no, no thanks. And he ob- obviously... Uh, regrets that a little bit. His stock probably would have been worth in the hundreds of millions of dollars, but hey, whatever, that's life. But the point that, that I want to drive here is the best way to communicate an idea simply and clearly is to try a hundred different iterations that don't work until we find the one that does. That's really the key. That's why I love doing these podcasts with you, frankly, selfishly, because this is like my testing ground. You know, Naval Ravikant, which is someone we haven't talked about on this podcast, by the way. That's a good uh, episode for tomorrow. Coming up next. Yeah, coming up next. I just thought I was like, oh, crap. We haven't talked about Naval. I got so many things to say about Naval. I, I, I just forgot. I guess I forgot to take notes about him. That's probably why he's not in my notepad. But anyways, Naval says it best. He says, the great smart people always think out loud. So they're always thinking out loud. So even if they're wrong a lot of the times, the willingness to think out loud gives permission for everyone else to go, oh, just because I say something publicly doesn't mean it necessarily always has to be true. And it's that willingness to think out loud like what we're doing, which is helping us co-create these ideas. And then every few episodes, I'm always getting this golden nugget I never would have gotten. I keep stacking these golden nuggets. And my number one golden nugget so far that is worth knowing for people who are new to the pod is uh, the question that Billy asked me that is worth at least $100,000 in my book, which is what is the best piece of feedback that you would give to Lewis House? That question spiraled so many great ideas that I never would have thought of that I now have for Lewis when I meet him in person, which will be very soon at this point. And in our last episode, you talked about this idea of having a question for the celebrities you admire, for the people who you find to be fascinating, remarkable in some way. What if you could come up with a question or a series of questions that you would ask them if you had the opportunity? You don't need to be a podcaster for this exercise to matter. 
even if you never meet them, it's a great exercise to have in your arsenal. And totally, totally agree about thinking out loud. Great way to end it. Hopefully you all found some value on this one. And uh, we'll talk more about Adam in other episodes. I'm sure he's prolific and his books, his ideas, and everything that he's doing to help change the way in which we think uh, is the reason we had this conversation today. So until next time, make it a great one. We'll talk to you all very, very soon. Thanks for joining. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.